Hey, it is, uh, it's awesome to be here, and uh, welcome. If you're visiting for the first time, man, I'm thrilled that you're here and you took a little bit of a risk to come and be a part of Riverage Church this morning. I think that's absolutely awesome. We are going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 3 this morning. So if you brought your Bible, open up to 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, we can actually get you one at the uh, guest services desk out there, uh, or you can follow along on the screen behind me in a little bit. Um, but we, uh, we took a break, if you were here last week, we took a break from our Second Timothy series, uh, and last Sunday was our Vision Sunday. And we spent the entire time celebrating what God had done, has done over the last year or so, and then looking forward and saying, what is God going to do next? Where do we believe God is going to do next at Riverridge Church into the future? And uh, if you are not here last week and you say, hey, Riverridge is my home, I would really encourage you to listen to that uh, or watch it online. You can do the app, iTunes, the website, whatever it might be. But we really want to all be on the same page as far as where is God taking us into the future. And so I encourage you, if you wouldn't mind listening to that sometime over this next week, because we really, we talked about go and how God wants us as a church to go to the community and go to Southern West Virginia. But we also talked about what an important place prayer will take in that, as we, as we go, we need to be in prayer that God will guide us and lead us and affect lives. Um, and one of the neat things that happened, a couple of neat things happened over this past week that hopefully you were a part of. If not, man, you missed out some neat stuff. But we had a night of worship last Sunday night, and we had this time of alternating between worship and prayer. And we said, hey, this is going to be for the whole family. So no matter who you are, if you want to come, little kids, big kids, whatever. And I was a little nervous about that. I'm like, how is this going to work with, you know, three and four and six-year-olds, you know, in with adults praying? But I tell you, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. And I talked to a few parents afterwards and said, how'd that work? And, you know, I talked to one family and they circled up for the prayer time. And their daughter, Annie, four years old, you know, there was a time where we prayed. We said, hey, pray for people that you know and, and love. And she went through and prayed for every single person that she knew, person after person. I'm like, that is absolutely awesome. And then this past week, many of you participated in the Facebook prayer every morning at 6.33. Myself or somebody else was on Facebook Live and just giving some prayer prompts. And, and we had so much interaction over that. There was an average of about 300 comments or reactions every day of 100 live viewers every day. Uh, as best we can tell, there were like 500, maybe to 1,000 um, people who watched it throughout the week. So it's just, it's exciting to see that you all are grabbing on to prayer. Because if we're going to go and be and do what God wants us to do as a church, prayer absolutely has to be central to where God is sending us as a church and where God is sending us as individuals. So just excited about that. So we are going to be in 2 Timothy today, so let's uh, go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much uh, for this book that we get to learn and hear from. And God, thank you so much just for your voice in our lives. And God, as we look into 2 Timothy today, I pray that you would speak to each of us individually. God, I believe that you have each person here for a purpose, for a reason, that you have something that you want to say to them. God, give us the ears to be attentive to what that word is, what that action is, what that message that we need to hear that is just for us, specifically from you. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So we've titled this series, Level Up, and, and this idea of we want to level up in our relationship with God. And so each week we take a look at that and what does that mean, but what we're doing is we're looking at the book of 2 Timothy. So 2 Timothy was written from Paul to Timothy, and it's this book where Paul is giving some instructions to Timothy because he's taking over the mantle of leadership 
of the church. And so he gives them instructions and encouragement and, and advice um, and some challenges that are ahead of him about his own life, but also about his leadership in ministry. And so what we're doing for the course of this series is we're listening in on those conversations and we're saying, how can I, how can we as individuals and we as a church to an extent, how can we level up in our own walk with God? And so we, each week we take a look and we say, okay, what does God have to say to us through this passage in the area to level up? And so the first week we talked about, we need to level up just in owning our faith. I think sometimes we just, well, somebody else will help my faith or it's the pastor's job or whoever's job. But all of us need to say, I need to own my faith. And through that, I need to use my spiritual gifts to bless others. That's what we talked about the first week. And then the second week we talked about, it, it was really challenging for those of you who lead, whether it's at home or at work or a ministry or a small group, but it's this idea of leading that we want to inf- use what God has given us to influence others, to invest our lives in others. And the third week, um, JB gave the message, and it was fantastic. He did this little visual illustration up here. If you missed it, catch the video version of it because it's pretty awesome. But he talked about how God is transforming us. And we need to take seriously the transformation that God is working on in our lives and to level up in the transformation that God wants for us. And today, here's what we're talking about. We're going to talk about leveling up in the way that we deal with the difficulties of the world out there. That as we look around the world, there are difficult people that we interact with. There are evils and corruptions and hard stuff out there because of people that affect us. And so this morning, we're going to take some time and we're going to talk about how do we deal with that. Because all of us have difficult people in our lives, don't we? And we, you know, there's, there's some people who are difficult generically that are in all of our lives. You know, there's the parking spot stealer, right? So you're, you're at Walmart or Target, you're ready to turn left into that parking spot when the person pulls out and somebody comes from the other direction and turns right in there. I hate those people. Some of you are those people. I I hate you just for now. I'll love you later, but I'd be just, that happens, right? Or how about this? It's the, I'm going to drive slow in the left lane person, right? And you're on the highway, and they're going like five miles under the speed limit, and you pull up to them, and you look at their license plate, and where are they from? Ohio. Ohio. Exactly. Exactly. They're all from Ohio. (laughs) Hate those people came to West Virginia to get saved because I used to be an Ohioan. <laughs> the, the, the funny thing is, so here's, so I kid you not, I'm actually driving, the car that I have right now um, has Ohio plates on it because I, I bought it from my mom. And so I, I haven't switched over to the West Virginia plates. So when I drive, I'm driving, like I'm cutting people off in traffic a lot just on purpose. And I'm, I'm driving slow in the left lane to perpetuate the stereotype of Ohio drivers. Like that is me. That's my role here. But, you know, there's these different people in our lives that cause us hardships that we can laugh about a little bit. Like the other person that bugs me, again, this is probably not you, but like the person that works out on the Nautilus machine at the Y or whatever, and they just sweat all over it, and then they just leave without wiping it off. It's like, dude, spray the stuff, wipe the thing, that's nasty. It's very, it's not usually women, that's the men. I only hit half of you on that one. Um, but, you know, there's difficult people in our lives. Now, we can laugh at those things to an extent until we can't, but we can kind of laugh at that. But, you know, there's, there's some big, major things going on in the world of corrupted and difficult people. I mean, think about this, and this just, I mean, this, this is not the warm fuzzies of church. If you came for the warm fuzzies of church, 
you're not going to get that this morning, but you know, think about like human trafficking. I mean, that just blows my mind that someone is so evil and so corrupt that they would kidnap somebody and sell them into sex trafficking. Like, who does that kind of thing? You think about drug dealers, right, who sell people drugs or give people drugs to get them hooked in order to get a bigger revenue stream. It's crazy. You think about politicians, and that's in the news right now, a ton about corruption, you know, and people sowing lies and intentional deceit so they can get elected to a public office to represent the people. That's just weird and messed up. Think about racism, that people treat other people differently because of the color of their skin or because of their nationality or where they're from. It's like, man, there is some evil stuff that is out there. But there's also evil stuff in terms of difficult people and corruption that in people that we know that affect our lives. You know, when people are malicious towards us, when people are insensitive towards us, when people are just hard to deal with in our own lives. And we have to deal with those people. Maybe there's people that you work with and they're just trying to get to the top and they'll step on whoever they have to get to to get to the top. And that causes difficulty. That injures you in your life. Or there's the, um, you know, you you think about people who have unforgiving hearts. You know, there's a person I'm kind of dealing with and it's like, I did something wrong, and I apologize. I'm trying to make it right, and I made it right, but it's like, I just can't get a break. And every time, it's like, man, just the heaping that comes this way is difficult. You know, or you think about bullies. You know, we think about bullies like in a schoolyard, fifth-grade bully, 10-year-old bully, you know, that kind of thing. But they grow up, and maybe you live your life in relationship to some bullies now, that they're stepping on you to get ahead that they're always kind of manipulating situations so that they come out on top, never admitting that they're wrong, using, you know, kind of tactics and strengths that they have to push other people around. And we have those people in our lives. And so how do we deal with that? How do we deal with those difficult people that really do bring an amount of pain and injury and suffering to our lives. How do we deal with that? You know, part of us just wants to go, I just want to yell and scream and just go crazy on them, right? You know, or sometimes when that happens, you just want to crawl into a hole. Like, I just want to cover myself with a blanket and forget everything that's out there and all those people, and I'm just, I'm just done with it and just go into isolation. You know, or you want to take the Facebook. Like, there's whatever's happening out there to you, you just, I'm going to go to Facebook. I'm just going to slam them on Facebook so everybody knows. And that never gets, I mean, that just gets uglier and uglier. So the question is, what do we do with that? There's got to be a better way than just crawling under a blanket or slamming the world on Facebook. There's got to be a better way of dealing with the difficult people in our lives. And that's exactly what Paul talks about with Timothy today as we look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, and he talks about how do we deal with the difficult people in our lives. So if you haven't yet already, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, and it says this. He writes, understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. 
Just want to look at that first sentence just for a moment. It says, in the last days. So when Paul writes in the last days, what's he talking about? Is he like the end is near? Is he like one of those guys holding up the sign that says tomorrow's the end of the world? No, when he's talking about the last days, it's a, it's a reference that he uses to talk about the period of time that they're in, which basically is from Christ ascending into heaven after he lived his life, died, resurrected, lived four days, and then ascended into heaven, and the return of Christ. So Paul and Timothy were living in the last days, but we also are living in that time period between the ascension of Christ and the return of Christ, okay? The first and second coming of Christ. And so we are living in the last days. And he says, in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. He's saying, Timothy, this is just the way it is. There are going to be times of difficulty in your life. So that's the first thing I want us to see, is don't be surprised, be ready. So when you have difficult people in your life, when hard stuff happens that is people-driven, don't be surprised, be ready for it. We're going to talk about a little bit how do we be ready for it and how do we combat it. Um, you know, but sometimes we, we mistakenly think, you know, because I became a Christian, because God loves me, now bad stuff is never going to happen to me again. And it's a mistake. And I can remember having that naive view of life um, right after I became a Christian. Uh, I, was, I got my license right after I became a Christian. I was 16 driving around. And, and I can remember, it's weird how like you have these sort of snapshots of memories in life and where you were. But I was, I was driving down Camargo Road and I was going too fast. Um, and I was listening to Michael W. Smith, an, or a Christian artist at the time, on the radio. I was listening to Michael W. Smith and thinking, you know... What would happen if I got pulled over? I'm like, you know what? God loves me. I'm a Christian now. Nothing will happen to me if I get pulled over. And, I th- and, I, and again, I played this through my mind. I'm like, I'm, and I'd be driving, and I'd be pulled over, and the officer would say, roll down your window, son, and I'd roll it down, and I'd say, you know what? It's no problem, and I'd turn up the radio because the friend, we are friends, friends forever, if the Lord is the Lord of them, which is a line from a corny song that he wrote a number of years ago. Um, but I had this picture like, I'm in this bubble, nothing bad can happen to me. And uh, by the way, I never got pulled over at that point in time to sort of put this to the theory or the test, but I just remember having that thought, like nothing bad could ever happen to me. But the, tra- the fact is, is that we live in a fallen and broken world, and tough stuff does happen to us, and difficult stuff does happen to us, and it's because of people and their sin, and it has a ripple effect on us. And God doesn't put us in this protectionist bubble force field around us that we have to deal with it. And so let's not be surprised when it comes. So then Paul goes on in these next few verses and he describes the people of the world that are ungodly. And he writes this in about 60, 65 AD. Uh, It applies just as much to 2018 as it does um, then. Listen to this. It says, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, not loving, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. I mean, that, that is written absolutely for our culture, this godless culture that we live in. And what's fascinating about this as we look at this list is if you notice, a lot of the words um, are an un. So it's, it's got ungrateful, unholy, unappeasable. 
And in each of those words, it's a good thing, and, but when you put un before it, it makes it into a negative thing. And although it's different, this is, we're reading a translation of what he actually wrote, English from, um, from Greek, but in Greek, almost all of the words in here have a prefix, which means the opposite. Now, there wasn't a direct translation, so for some, we have unholy or unappeasable. But here's what I want us to see in this, and here's why I mention this, is that God made things a certain way. God wants things to be holy. God wants people to be grateful. But what man has done is corrupted what God has made good. And so we have the opposite of holiness is unholy. The opposite of gratitude is ungrateful, and on and on through this list. They're all negatives of something that God created or God wanted that is good. So why do people act like this? And we all know people who act like this in our lives. Maybe not all of them, maybe all of them, but why do people act like this? And we find the clue to it in this word lovers. And if you have your Bible, underline this in verse 2. We're going to have you underline three different phrases in this little passage we looked at. In verse 2, I want you to underline lovers of self, okay? And then also in verse 2, the next phrase, I want you to underline lovers of money. And then in verse 4, I want you to underline lovers of pleasure, okay? You see, the way that God has designed us to live in terms of love is that we're to worship God, we're to love other people, and we're to use things. That is God's order. We worship God, we love others, but we use things. But what has happened is that when that gets turned around, when that gets messed up, then what people do is they worship themselves, they love things, and they use people. That's not the way that God designed it. Things are turned on their heads. And why is it? It's because of where the heart is, where the passion of love is. They've become lovers of self, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure. That what happens, and, and all these, most of these are um, actions, they're behaviors, disobedience to parents, being heartless without self-control. Those are all actions, but they stem from the heart. And so what we need or what people need is not behavior modification, but a change of heart. And so here's the second response to evil, is understand why people do what they do. Why people do what they do. Now, what we notice is the behavior that people have. You know, somebody is slanderous and it injures us. Somebody is abusive and it injures us. Somebody is brutal and it injures us. Somebody lacks self-control and it hurts us. But what we need to understand is it's not us, it's them. That because of what is in their heart, those behaviors are coming out, exhibited towards us. I can remember, gosh, this is probably 12, 13, maybe even 14 years ago, having a conversation with this guy. And I had a conversation, it was a really hard conversation where he was just really beaten up on me about some things. And, and I left that conversation, and I was just tense and anxious and frustrated. And I mean, and you've probably been in some of those conversations from time to time. It was just really, I was just really out of sorts. And it wasn't like I walked out the door, and 20 minutes later, I was fine. It was one of those that was so, like, grating on me that, you know, 24, 48 hours later, I was still, like, having flashbacks to this conversation where he just beat up on me in terms of just, um, I don't know, it's, it's hard to explain, but if you've been in one of those conversations where 
he was just belittling me and, and made me doubt myself and insecure and all this stuff was coming up. And, and as I processed this, and really I talked to Stacy, my wife, about it a little bit at the time too and helped to just kind of get through this conversation, realized with this guy and the grading personality traits that he had, that he probably had those conversations once or twice or three times a week with different people, just leaving people in, a, in his wake of just undone. Why? Because that's what was in his heart, and it came out in his behavior of being brutal with his words towards other people. But why is it in there? It's because of his heart. And so as we think about, again, dealing with difficult people, we need to remember that it's a heart issue with them. And the solution is to have a new heart, to be replaced, whatever heart they're at, of lover of money, lover of self, lover of pleasure, to replace that with being a lover of God. I love the way that it's put in the book of Ezekiel. He writes this, he says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. It's this picture of somebody who has a heart of stone, no feelings, cold-hearted. God says, I'm going to take that out, and I'm going to put a heart of flesh, a heart of feeling, a heart of love, a heart that's for God and a heart that's for people inside of that person. And as we think about the people who are difficult to deal with, that that's the prayer that we want to have for them, that God would replace their heart of stone with a heart of flesh. Because what we think about initially is behavior. I just want them to stop doing this. I want them to stop acting like this. I want them to stop treating me this way. But you see what God says, and this is the why behind it, understand why people do what they do, it's because of the heart. The better transformation is when the heart is transformed, and then the behavior is changed because the heart is transformed. When Paul writes this to Timothy, he is writing this to help Timothy to lead the church. But there's a part of this that we can look at a different way that's helpful for us, that we can look at this in terms of a mirror, that it's good to look at this passage and say, do I exhibit any of these characteristics here? Are there times when I'm arrogant? Am I a lover of money? Am I brutal sometimes with my words? Am I disobedient to my parents? You know, that we can look at this and say, is that in there? But then we do the same thing, which we want to do, and say, what's the heart behind it? You know, we can look at our lives, whether we look here or we look just, we know we see, and we say, why do I do that? Let's get behind it. Let's get under it and say, what is it that's causing, what is it in my heart that's causing me to yell at my kids? Well, they did something wrong, but why don't I speak gently to them? What is it that's in my heart? You know, why is it that I go and look at, you go and look at stuff on the internet that you shouldn't look at and go, what's in my heart that's causing that? Why is it that I'm so tight with my money that I can't give to God's work, I can't be generous to people? What's in my heart that's there? And to ask ourselves those questions, what's the heart that's causing the behavior in our lives that we don't like? I tell you, on Monday nights, we have Celebrate Recovery that meets here, and I love Celebrate Recovery, because what they do is it's not about behavior modification. It's about let's get to the heart of what's going on and figure out the issues. And then when we figure out our heart and changing our heart, then the behavior that injures us and others will change. So Paul continues on, verse 5, the second half. 
says, avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. So he says, avoid such people. Now, as he's saying this, what he's saying is he's avoid being influenced by such people. There's other times where he talks about getting away. He'll say, when Paul says, he uses this, this phrase for me, he says, flee, flee. He doesn't say flee here. He says avoid. In other words, it's about influence. That if you're in relationships with people and you're constantly getting berated and um, bombarded and it's tearing you down and it's affecting who you are, then you need to avoid them. You need to have some separation, right? But as we look at this, we also need to understand that we need to interact with people in the sense, and so when we say avoid, it's avoid the influence. If we're the influencer, then we want to influence them and help to be part of what God is doing in their lives and changing their heart of stone to a heart of flesh. But it says to avoid them so that we are not influenced. Then it says in verse 8, mentions these two people. It says, Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. So if you were to look in the Old Testament, it says James and Jambres opposed Moses. You would not actually find them in the Old Testament anywhere, right? Their names have been given to the sorcerers or the accomplices to Pharaoh. So really brief history lesson. So Moses um, came to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. They were captive. The Jews were captive in uh, Egypt. Let my people go. Moses said, or excuse me, Pharaoh said no. And then God gave Moses the power to do these miracles, or God did miracles through Moses. Uh, and the first couple of miracles, uh, Pharaoh had sorcerers, or kind of shysters in his uh, kind of cabinet, if you will, who were able to mimic the miracles that God did. And the names associated with those are given to those, not in the Bible, but sort of in um, kind of cultural literature, or Janus and Jambres. So why is that important? How does that, why does he mention them? Why do they, they fit in here? It's because what it says at the end, it says, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. That sometimes as we look at the people who are causing difficulty in our lives, as we look at the people who are speaking badly about us, whatever difficulty they're causing to you, what this is saying is they will eventually be found out. Eventually, the truth about who they are will come to the surface. And what's interesting is, you know, you look at, especially kind of with evil out there, that sometimes there are people who are incredibly corrupt, but they do a few good things to kind of hide their corruption. And what this says to us is that we need to just be confident that evil will eventually come out. The good will prevail. As it says, again, their folly will be plain to all, those that cause difficulty to us. Then it continues on, verse 10. He writes, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings. That happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 
while evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Here's what I want us to see in here, is what Paul is writing to Timothy, says, okay, there's this evil out there, we recognize that it's there, we're looking beneath the surface, say, why is it there? And then the solution, the part that we play, and I'll kind of tell you where this comes from in a minute, but it's overcome evil with good, that we overcome evil with good. And it's really interesting, as you look at this, and it's interesting, it's also very challenging for us, is that Paul gives himself as the example. He says, my conduct, my life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions enduring through that. He's saying, look at my life and imitate that with the people who are being difficult in your world. And that's challenging for us in this, is would you be able to look at your own life and say, live the way that I live? With those that you have influence and leadership with. So in your own home, can you look at your kids and say, imitate my faith, imitate my life? You know, with the people that you lead in a small group, with a ministry that you're a part of, would you be able to say that? And that's a, I mean, that's a super high bar, right? But it's one that we, that's worth working towards. Again, this is a level up series. This is not like, just get a little bit better. This is level up. And we ask that question. It's like, am I living my life in such a way that I could say that. And that's, again, what we're working towards. Paul even says in the book of Corinthians, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. And that's what we want to be working towards, of living our lives that way, so that we're not saying, well, do what I say, not what I do. <coughs> Excuse me. We take this back to this path. <laughs> Hold on. Everybody take a drink. One, two, three. <clears throat> So we take it back to this passage, and what Paul is saying to Timothy is he's saying, the way that you live your life, your faith, your conduct, your righteousness, that is what's going to make a difference in somebody's life, to transform them to who they are, to who God wants them to be. But sometimes we take the opposite approach, don't we? We, we think, well, if you punch me, I'm going to punch you back, and you know how it feels, and then you'll stop punching me, right? You gossip about me, well, I'm going to spread some juicy stuff about you, and then you'll stop doing that about me. That never works. All that does is escalate, escalate, escalate. And what Paul says, and it comes from God, says, treat people with love. There's a great verse in uh, Romans 2.4 that says this. God's kindness leads you towards repentance. You see, this model, does this work in terms of changing somebody's life? This is God's model. Because it says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still in rebellion against God, God sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins. He expressed kindness to us in order to transform our hearts. And so God is calling us to do the same thing. Speak words of kindness. Do actions of love. That's how transformation happens in somebody else's life. Then it continues on. Verse 14 says, and this is kind of a longer passage, so hang with me here. It says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believe, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And he says, all scripture is breathed out by God 
and profitable for teaching, for reproof and correction and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly or may be equipped completely for every good work. If you notice in this passage, there's a couple of times where he has a reference to the same thing over and over. In verse 10, if you want to underline this, he says, my teaching. Verse 14, he says, what you have learned. Verse 15 says, sacred writings. Verse 16 says, scriptures. All of these point back to God's word. And here's why that's so important, this constant pointing back to God's word, is that we need to hold to God's word as the standard. God's word has to be the standard in our lives in terms of what is true. When we talk about overcome good with evil, what is good? How do we know what good is? We look to God's word. How do we know what evil is? We look to God's word and it says what is evil. This has to be our standard. It cannot be the culture around us. It cannot be those people that are difficult for us. It cannot be our own value or judgment of it. It absolutely has to be God's word as the standard of what we hold our lives to. That's the standard. That's the measure. So let me close with them. I want to close with one thought and two prayers. The closing thought is this. Um, So this message has been a little bit hard for me to prepare and, and to deliver because it's a message that looks at other people and says, you have a problem and here's what you need to change, right? And that doesn't always sit with me very well because I, I very much believe that we should look inside first before looking outside. And so I don't, I, I, there's a fear that I have of this message where we all leave here going, they got a problem, 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 you, need, you got a hard stone, you know. I, that's not healthy, right? And what, what Jesus said, he said, before you pull the speck out of your brother's eye, pull the plank or the board or the log out of your own eye. Look first at yourself before looking at somebody else. And again, we're going through this kind of passage by passage, but if you look at what precedes this, so yes, Paul is telling Timothy, look at the world and here's how to make an impact and here's the difficulties and corruption and evils of the world, the godlessness of the world. But what comes before that is he talks about pursuing righteousness. He talks to Timothy about first. So chapter 2 and what comes before that is about, Timothy, work, look at your own life and then look at other people. And we need to make sure that that is the pattern of our life, that we don't all leave here going, mm, bad, 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 bad. We need to look first and say, I'm having a difficult relationship with someone. I'm having a difficult conversation. What do I need to change before I go, oh, it's your problem? We look inside first. Two prayers. As I've been talking this morning, I would almost imagine for certain, for certain, for sure, that at least one person or more has popped into your mind as we've talked about this, right? You don't have to say who that is out loud, especially if they're sitting next to you. But I want you to think about who is that person, and I want you to commit to pray for that person. Don't just go, oh, so-and-so is difficult. I want you to think about and pray for that person that God would transform them from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. And it may be that you need to avoid them, and that's okay. I mean, that's what it says. Or it may be that God is going to use you to influence them. you got to discern that for yourself. So pray for that person. And then here's the second thing. 
You know, there really are a lot of injustices in our world out there, from sex trafficking to drug abuse to the opioid epidemic to political corruption to hunger. There's a, there's a bunch of big world issues out there. And I'll challenge you and encourage you to pick one to pray for on a consistent basis, whatever it is. And maybe you would have an opportunity to get involved personally, or maybe you wouldn't, but just that your prayers would go in a direction to pray for one big thing that is an injustice in our world. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for these words um, that are both challenging and helpful. And guys, we go out and we interact with people who are difficult. I pray that we would have uh, love towards them, that we would have compassion towards them, whether we're interacting with them or whether we need to keep our distance. But I pray, God, that you would utilize the prayers that we send up and the actions and the words to bring people to saving knowledge of you, of a heart transformed from a heart of stone to a heart transformed to a heart of flesh. God, would you give us those opportunities? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.